After football, shinty is perhaps Scotland's national sport. In the Highlands, for many, after you pick up your first school bag, you pick up a cannon. It's a tough game played on an open pitch. It's physical, it's fast, and at times ruthless. For the communities and teams that play it, it defines them. It is life. For this episode of Speaking of Suicide, I'm chatting with one of the sport's greats, Gary Innes. Gary captained Scotland in the annual Shinty hurling matches against Ireland. He played for Scotland for 14 years, but his heart lies on the pitch at Fort William Shinty Club. But Shinty has a dark side, a side that only recently is starting to be spoken about, because suicide among male Shinty players is a real problem. In the 20 years that Gary played at Fort William, six of his teammates took their own lives. I'm Dan Holland, and this episode of Speaking of Suicide has been sponsored by HSBC UK. Thank you to them for enabling us to have this conversation. As part of HSBC UK's commitment to supporting the most vulnerable in society, HSBC UK has signed up to the Safe Spaces Initiative, which aims to increase the availability of specialist support for people experiencing domestic abuse. Vulnerable people can now walk into any of HSBC UK's branches and access safe space where they can seek specialist support and advice. Now, as always, speaking of suicide is meant to be open and honest. That's the whole point of it. But that doesn't always make for an easy listen. So remember, you can press pause. And don't forget, there is support available from Mikey's line. And I'll give their details out after we've heard from Gary. Now, Gary, I've watched Shinty, but I've never played it at all. It looks pretty brutal and tough to me. For anyone who's <laughs> never played it or watched it, tell us about Shinty. How is it played? Because it, it is tough, isn't it? Well, it's just one of those sports, Dan, that it, when people do, they don't have an understanding of it. I suppose it's like when a Shinty player watches rugby and we watch these guys uh, and girls running, clattering into each other at full pace, and you think, oh, geez, that's got to hurt. Well, Shinty is the same as that when you don't know much about it. It's uh, 12 guys versus 12 people on the, the field to say guys uh, play, girls play, different. they're a different league set up. And the idea is, I suppose, like field hockey to get the ball in the back of the net um, to score a goal. And and I suppose traditionally, like football, whoever gets the more goals, uh, the most goals wins. But with Shinty, you can swing the cannon as the, the club that we use above your head and Quite often you can connect with people accidentally, some do it intentionally, <laughs> but as long as the ball's there, then it's up to the referee's discretion uh, to deem it a foul or not. Now, I mentioned you started playing as a young boy, Gary, but you're also an outrageously talented musician too. So was it always going to be shinty for you or was music there as well? Well, thank you very much for that. And I'll definitely be uh, crossing your hand full of silver for that comment. But uh, when I... <laughs> When I grew up in Speen Bridge, a village just 10 miles north of Fort William, shinty was the only sport that was played in the village, and it was the only sport that you were allowed to play in primary school, which nowadays seems just crazy with all the opportunities that kids get, and which is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but for us in Speen Bridge, if we didn't play shinty, we didn't play sport. It was as simple and as black and white as that. So shinty definitely came first. We used to go up and watch the, well, my dad and my uncles and... Um, well, before that, my grandpa, you know, used to always play shinty up the field on a Saturday. So you'd watch your family members playing it, you'd watch the, the villagers playing it. And so 
from a very, very early age, it was ingrained in you that that's, that was the sport you were going to play and that's what you were going to do. About three or four years later, at the age of eight, my dad, he also played the accordion and played a few tunes and he said to me, Luke, do you want to learn the accordion? And I was chuffed to bits. I thought that would be magic. Any excuse to try and be like your dad. So that was mm-hmm. it. Off we went and the lesson started from there. You're saying you grew up in Spienbridge. What sort of communities from the Highlands does, does Shinty traditionally draw from? What, what are the Shinty playing areas of the country? Well, I think nowadays the area really is the whole of Scotland, which has been wonderful. The Cameron Association has been putting development officers all across the board from right up in Wick and Thurzon, Caithness to the, the east coast and down to the borders where traditionally rugby was such a stronghold. Well, we are finding more and more, especially juvenile clubs coming through and primary level, which is wonderful for the sport. But for us growing up, certainly on the west coast of Scotland, that's the, the shinty heartland. That's where it's kind of born and bred and, and it's lived through generations and hundreds and hundreds of years in these little pockets of communities where that was their social, you know, they would work all week and then that was their release. They would play their shinty on a Saturday and then go for a few beers on a Saturday night and then back to work on the Monday again. And I think historically that's kind of been where the sport has been for so many years, especially in these little tiny pockets of the west coast of Scotland. What kind of atmosphere or camaraderie is there in in the changing room or was there in the changing room during your professional (laughs) playing career? The laugh tells me it might have been kind of play hard, work hard. Yeah, I mean, I think with a sport like Shinty or any sport, I mean, I always say to anyone, in fact, speaking to Bob McIntyre, for instance, Robert McIntyre, one of the, the top golfers in the world just now from Open, and Bob was a huge Shinty fan. And I was talking to him and saying, you know, what's it like being on the road on your own? You know, not having that dressing room camaraderie, as you mentioned, you know, you're going out there to play a sport, but you're very much focused on your own performance. And he was saying, it's rubbish. You know, having that, where he walks into the changing room, but he plays with Open Celtic, and having that, the other like-minded lads round about you, and the fun, the nonsense, the sense of camaraderie, as you mentioned, you know, what was going to happen after the game, who had done what the night before, just all the usual things when you get 15 or 20 lads all together at a similar age, that, uh, yeah, the nonsense just flows like nothing else. And again, that's not just in Shinty, that's in every team sport around the planet. It's kind of why I think naturally we're drawn to it, because we're part of a big kind of sporting family. We've all got a common goal and winning and working hard towards that goal. But still, it's really just about being together and having that natural sense of uh, togetherness, I think. It sounds like you're a really tight bunch at Fort William Shinty Club. We were hugely tight. I mean, we trained on a Tuesday night for nearly three hours. We trained on a Thursday night for nearly three hours. And then you spent all day Saturday in each other's company. And then for the ones who weren't tied down with wives and kids in their younger years, then you spent all of the Saturday night with them as well. So there was a, a huge amount of time spent in each other's company. And there was very little that you didn't think you knew about each and every player that you played with. Now, I said at the introduction to this podcast that, you know, over the years you played at Fort William, six of your teammates took their own lives. When did suicide first start to affect Fort William and the team and that tight group of, of guys? Well, it actually happened really, really young for myself. We were all 16 years old when the first player took his own life and that was a huge shock because in the area of Le Haber that I was born and brought up in that encompasses Spienbridge and Fort William and 
Um, obviously, Fort William itself is quite a large town, but coming from Spean Bridge, a village of less than a thousand people, we certainly grew up very, very sheltered. And I suppose like many little villages across Scotland and the wider world, of course, um, we grew up just before the internet, so we missed so much. I mean, what mum and dad told us was that was that was it. You know, you didn't dare question it, and and that was fine. Um, so when suicide started becoming part of our lives from sixteen onwards throughout the team, um, we just didn't know really how to accept it. We didn't really understand why it happened and why. The young man didn't talk to us and I don't name his name because now I know he's an uncle and so on and I don't know what the family have told the younger generation about their uncle and, and so on. So if you don't mind, I won't mention their, their names, but of course, uh, for not. some of the family reasons. But yeah, it was it was just so hard to take. I think I think Susie, that that is it for everybody. It just leaves far more questions than answers and being so young and in the manner that he took his own life, it just left us all a bit bamboozled and really didn't really know where to go to next uh, once it had happened. Can you remember the moment you first heard? I can, yeah. And what had happened, again, I'm 41 years old, so again, I came through, I was 16 or 17 before the we started getting mobile phones with pay-as-you-go and top-ups and things like that. But just pre that, obviously, there were no mobile phones and so we weren't really communicating via text and things and we had come into school, into high school, and uh, word started making its way around that on... Um, it happened actually on the Friday night, but again, being a little bit out of the way in Spean Bridge, we hadn't heard anything. and So Monday morning, bounding into school with the, the shinty sticks in hand and things and all of a sudden, the news started uh, making its way through. And I suppose like that, Unlike death in many ways, you sometimes, I think your head tells you that it can't be true. You know, there must be, uh, it just can't be right. It must be misinformation or something's broken down in communication and that's not been the case. But of course it was and they were absolutely correct in everything they were saying. Um, but, you know, again, things have changed so much. Even at that point, not a single person spoke to us about it. Nobody said, now listen, guys, how are you feeling uh, this has been a, a tragic uh, day or incident, you know, within the club or with the school or anything whatsoever. Nobody was willing to talk about it, and it was kind of like just pushed onto the carpet. It had happened. It was awful. Nobody wanted to mention it. Did that sit with your classmates and teammates as well, even in your own sort of circle, or were you all just numbed? I, I think we were all numbed, Dan, but I don't think we really thought any different, you know, because this was the first time it happened in our age group. We were all aware that suicide happened quite often in the area. In fact, Le Haber itself's got a, a horrendous um, kind of one to 10,000 rate of suicides. And so we knew of suicide, of course, but when it happened, this was the first time it happened to someone that we really knew, we were really close to. And certainly a sense of numbness was across us all. But Again, I don't really remember talking to anyone about it. I remember it was kind of like you just got on with it and the way to get through that was they threw the ball in amongst you and just told you to, you know, pick a couple of teams and go on with it and that was it. You know, you were back together in the sport and you were kind of just going to push your way through that. But no, I don't 
I don't remember us ever ever even getting the opportunity to have a chat with someone about it or someone forthcomingly coming forward and asking us uh, would we like to talk about it or is there anything we would like to discuss in our, in our own mental health? In in many ways, I know as a as a country, as a as a nation, as a population, we've still got such a long, long way to go to trying to make a space that's comfortable for people to talk about their mental health. But even listening to you say that shows that actually we've already come a long way to where we are today, to making these conversations every day and comfortable. Yeah, 100%. And I think going back to that time, suicide especially was a black mark on families and in people's lives. And we know now, and I think we're just more aware now, and because of the really, really strong and incredible people that have talked and been very open about their own feelings and been honest, whether that's in sport or music or people that people look at, young people especially on pedestals and they say, look, I struggle with this or I struggle with that and here's what I did and here's what I did um, to help with that. Being more open and honest is key to all this and we've certainly found that out over the years. I think naturally, going back to that time, as I just kind of alluded to there, it was very much seen as a black mark on the family and the families. You know, I did a documentary myself on suicide a few years ago and talking to the families about their sons that they had lost. They themselves, when it happened, felt like they were then trapped as well as if it was on them. They had caused this and then they couldn't go out in the street because they felt people would talk to them. They were looking at them funny. They were talking about them behind their back. Now, not all this was, of course, true, but that's how they felt. And I guess all those things just go on to exasperating the stigma many people feel connected with suicide now unfortunately suicide kept coming back into within the team over the next few years in your own way Gary and talk me through what happened over the next or the subsequent years after this first dreadful event well unfortunately it just seemed to snowball and it just kept happening um I mean it wasn't year on year and so on but there was a group of four lads in the team that were very very close and when one of those boys took their own life and there were some guys in the team that over the years you look back and you think well I suppose there were a couple of signs there and there were others who were actively seeking medical help and they had talked to their families they knew that they were struggling they were going to their GP and were on medication and so on yet the result still ended up the same it was the ones that didn't talk, the ones who we had absolutely no idea whatsoever would turn up on that Tuesday night that I mentioned, the Thursday, all day Saturday, life and soul of the party, or very much, you know, one of the lads in amongst it all the time, full of nonsense, full of fun, and then they just weren't there. And it just, even talking about it now, I've just so many questions. I've got so many things I want to ask them. I want, that I would just love to try and understand and um, I think naturally when someone close to you takes their own life, then the first thing you think is, well, what could I have done? What what could I have done to help? And I think as a club, that was certainly going through all our heads was, you know, what, what could we all have done? One of them took his own life, and I'll never ever forget his mum at the funeral, uh, and we all carried him out with our shinty jerseys on, and Everything and his mum said, please 
please, to every mother and father out there, go home and hug your son and daughter. It doesn't matter what they've done in life or if you've had a fallout. Please, please just go home. Give them a big hug. Tell them that you love them because I'm never going to get the chance to do that again. And those words will resonate with me to the day I die. Her voice cracking and breaking as she delivered a message that honestly was like a punch in the, in the heart and the chest at each and every person in that place. And so when less than two years later, one of those four lads that were in the, the group that were just so tight-knit. Now, after that, um, once Drew had taken his own life, the other three made a pact and they said, if we were struggling at all, in any way whatsoever, we talked to each other. And one of the lads actually stood up and said um, a number of months later, listen, I am struggling, I'm really struggling. And the boys helped him get help. And um, we knew this in the club and it was, you know, great. Uh, we were very proud of them and, you know, the pact had made and we thought that was magic. And so when one of the other boys who, I won't mention his name if you don't mind, just because uh, I know his family sometimes don't like the, me to talk about him, I mentioned his name. He then took his own life. That was the biggest and most... It, it just felt like the world had imploded um, for myself because... And i never forget the day getting a phone call to you and it was just like, what the is happening? You know, we've been through this so many times already. You... I mean, he was so, so close to... Uh, to Drew and his family and his mum. He witnessed firsthand the devastating effect it had on his family. And yet he felt that was his only way out, was, was to, you know, end it all. And that had me in bits, to be honest, because I thought if he can do it, if he's feeling that way, then no, nobody I know is safe. Nobody I know is, you know, if he can hide it that much, that he's struggling that badly, then... I was worrying for everyone. I was worried for my mum and dad, my brothers, my family, my wife, everyone. I just I just didn't think anyone was safe. And yeah, it's um over the years, as I say, it got tougher and tougher. And I think with the club it was recognising obviously this was happening and with each death there was certainly more understanding happening, not just in Le Havre, but around Scotland and the wider world about suicide and the implications and, you know, exactly what pushes someone to the brink. And so that, you know, that, that led me to want to do and talk to people myself and the family and try and make a documentary to find out what help was available for people that were feeling that way because I myself didn't know, you know, and I, and I felt that if I found myself in any position whatsoever that I was really struggling and needed to talk to someone, I, I didn't know where to turn. I wouldn't have known where to turn. And I just worried that maybe these young men were in the same position that I knew some were seeking medical advice and help. But I definitely knew that some were and, and they hadn't opened up to anybody. It must have been, from what you described, very, very frightening in not feeling that anybody was safe around you. Am I interpreting that in the right way? It was absolutely horrendous, absolutely horrendous, yeah, because, you know, it was like everything you knew, just, you know, as I say, I think you try and sort of 
you think back and you think, well, that person, okay, well, maybe that's what it was. And, oh, I suppose they were maybe a, an extrovert. So you think, well, were they masking something? But the last person uh, was a young man, you know, married with a young son and had a good job, was incredible, incredibly talented at sport and incredibly talented at whatever he did at, at various sports, not just shinty. Like everything I'd known in life was maybe not everything I'd known and uh, maybe not everyone around about me is safe. And uh, yeah, that was a, a really frightening and, and worrying thought and, and still to this day is. How did the wider community of Lachaba react to this and the wider community of the world of Shinty? Well, to firstly answer your question of Lachaba, it brought it to its knees, to be quite honest with you, that here is another young man um, that seemingly is very happy with life and I think people naturally and again it's probably going back to a thing of old when people go well what's he got to complain about he's got a nice house he's got a nice car he's got a nice this he's got a or she has got this she has got that what have they got to worry about and I think again we're learning to understand that this isn't the case regardless if you're a millionaire or you've got £10 in the bank, regardless if you've got this, if you've got the best looking wife in the world or the best looking husband and so on, it's about your own personal well-being and how you feel and how good you feel in your in yourself. And regardless of all these other factors in life, it's all about what's inside you. And so, again, go back to the area of Lachaber. This person was very well known through sport and through his job and everything. Um, and so because of that, Everyone really worried again because we'd lost so, so many young men. Now, I'm only talking about six that I played shinty with. There's not, I would hand in heart say there is not a single family in Lachaber that has not been first-handly, uh, there's not first-handed experience suicide with someone they know or a family member. It's just, it's just everywhere and it has been forever and it's just, it's just awful. So I think when, when he passed, the area certainly was rocked, but when you talk about Shinty as a whole, you take it out of Lochaber and you take it to all these other little pockets of communities that are all over the all over Scotland. And he was a Scottish international at Shinty as well, so he was very, very well known and recognised as a uh, one of the best in the game. And again, because of that too, it rocked the sport absolutely. And I think for me, he was probably a catalyst or a huge catalyst in the sport to recognise that they had to do something. There had been a number of deaths before uh, through suicide within the sport, but because of this young man's passing, I think this was the this was the one that really rocked us all and made the Cameron Association really stand up and think, we act, absolutely have to act now to try and stop this. And uh, I'm keen to speak to you about what's happening now in just a few moments, Gary. You mentioned just a moment ago you made a documentary um, about your friends in Fort William Shinty Club a wee while ago. It's a programme you did for BBC Radio Scotland and it was called Six Men and it, it broadcast on World Suicide Prevention Day in 2020. And for that you spoke to, in some really frank and open and... In, at sometimes quite upsetting conversations with the families of your friends. That must have been very difficult for you to do, but I suspect you probably learnt an awful lot about people 
and about your friends? Well, I did, yeah, and it was quite honestly probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. I had to sit across from my friends' mum and dads and ask them about the, the day they found out their son had taken their lives and did they have any idea, you know, all the all the sort of questions that are associated that you would naturally want to know because what was incredible about them, you know, before we started broadcasting and, and recording, I asked, was it okay if I asked some of these questions? And each and every one of them were like, absolutely, because for them they got the opportunity to talk about their son and their loved one, but they also had the opportunity to speak very frankly to other people listening and to hopefully, hopefully try and avert other mums and dads and parents and guardians having the same day and subsequent life that they've been left with, waking up every morning and the last thought before they go to bed is of their their uh, their lost sons. And so I thought the way they answered was incredibly dignified and how open and honest they were about their own feelings um, and how they reacted, how their family reacted, how the wider community reacted to the news. And I think, yeah, there is no question that when you talk to someone who has lost a loved one to suicide, there is a certain expression and just bewilderness they have of, they just they just want to try and help. You know, they've gone through the, the process, they've lost their loved one, and now they're just trying to help others either deal with their own experience of if they've lost someone and they're trying to help how they get through it, or just trying to avert it happening and saying, look, these were the signs that I experienced. So if you're having the same signs or if you're really worried, then please, please seek assistance and here's how to do it and so on. So yeah, Dan, it was the, it was absolutely the hardest thing uh, work-wise I've ever had to do for sure. But having walked away from it uh, on reflection, I think I can honestly say it's been the most positive and best thing that I've ever done as well because of the reaction that the documentary got and how many people actually reached out that I'd never met after the documentary said they listened to it. Either they were now seeking advice or they were seeking help for their sons or daughters. And, you know, they said themselves that they knew there was problems with them and they were really struggling, but they weren't willing to address it because they didn't want to open Pandora's boxes that were and delve in. They were just more than happy to let them get on with their lives and hope that they would come and speak to them if they were ready. But as we know ourselves, some people never get to that and need to be prompted and need that wee cuddle, that shoulder to cry on or someone to openly ask the, the hard-hitting questions to hopefully give them the help that they deserve. Let's just pause for a sec, because if you want someone to talk to, or you're worried about a friend or a family member who needs help, then you can text Mikey's line on 077-86-207-755, or contact them via Messenger, web chat, or on Twitter. And they're available Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm, and Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. And that number again is 07786 Gary, let's look at what's happening now and what we can do 
going forward? Because Mikey's line have recently formed a, a partnership with the Kamenak Association. That's the, the world governing body of Shinti to try and address mental health support in Shinti and playing communities around the country. So let's talk a bit more about what you think can be done and what you think the barriers are to stopping people. You mentioned stigma earlier on and shame, but what else do you think stops people seeking that help? I think fundamentally no one really likes to admit that they're maybe not feeling okay. I think lots of people think, I'll be better tomorrow, I'll feel better tomorrow, I'll feel better next week, or I've just gone through a wee phase. And I think that's correct. There are people who do go through little ups and downs and they come out the other end fine. I think it's recognising within yourself that if you're struggling and you're maybe not coming out the other end as quickly as you would like, or you're in that situation at all, and this is new to you, then you try and open up and you try and speak to someone. And again, there are many ways, doing the documentary that we briefly touched on, there are many ways we can do that. Of course, there are friends and family, but some people naturally might feel that I don't want to you know, open up and be as honest with my friends and family in case they think differently of me. And again, I think, if nothing else, you're a far braver person opening up and being honest uh, with your friends and family like that. No one's going to think anything less of you. In fact, quite the opposite they're going to think how brave you are and they will absolutely work their socks off to get you the assistance and help you need. You can be sure of that. Now, Pitchside Banners are going up on Chinty Fields around the country with Mikey's Line's number and how to access their their web channels for support. And, and some clubs have been putting the numbers on their shirts as well, I think. But how do we get that information, Gary, into the changing room, into where you and your pals we're getting changed every Saturday into your hearts when you're training. What, what should we be doing to do that? I mean, that's a really hard question because it's not just in Shinti, that's across all sports that people really should be looking at how they can manage to, I suppose, get that number, for instance, off the barrier and into someone's phone because it's wonderful and that's great to know that that number is available. But on a Saturday afternoon, if you're sitting watching your pals playing shinty or if you're playing shinty, that number is probably not going to stay in your head before someone's shouting at you that your man's running away from you or the ball's coming your way. So I think something like that would be a really strong point to maybe each, you know, some people might not want it on their phone, but I think it might be something really quite worthwhile is at the start of every season, make sure that number, Mikey's line number, is in every single player's phone just in case they need it, because if they need it at four o'clock on a Tuesday morning, or if they need it at a Saturday night after they've been out and a few drinks, they've come home and they're just maybe not feeling themselves, they're maybe just not going to quite remember what that barrier says around the field, or they're maybe not going to feel they want to Google it or in the position to do that. And I think maybe just having that number available, kind of ingrained in the phone, it just sits there, it never gets looked at, never gets needed, but just in case it does, it's always there, kind of like an old friend, and you know you can press that button, talk to someone who understands and has a listening ear. I think that might be a nice way of doing it in such a subtle way as well, um, rather than someone coming down and trying to put a, a number into their phone. But having these barriers, uh, ha having these banners around and having the name out there as much as possible is only a positive effect, and that's 
all you know, all testament to Mikey Slane and the Cameron Association, because at the end of the day, nobody wants another death by suicide in the sport, nor by suicide in any walk of life. And if we can do anything to highlight that or to try and just make things easier for people to access help, then that's a wonderful thing. You know, you, you touched on earlier on, Shinty comes from rural communities around Scotland. And we all know, sadly, that some of these communities have other problems as well that can lead to mental health problems and to suicide. There's alcohol, drugs, and now we're facing this cost of living crisis too. So where in this kind of circle of circumstances um, should we be trying to get information and help and to young people and men in particular to talk? Do we need to go back to school to that 16-year-old Gary Ennis at Lakaba High School and that group of pals then? Absolutely. It has to start from grassroots all the way up. And I think naturally there'll be some parents who probably don't feel they want to talk to their children or they want school teachers or people to be talking to their children too young about suicide. But unfortunately it's something that is going to affect pretty much everyone in life at some point growing up. They are going to know somebody and if that's the case that you know from such a young age, here is where you turn if you're not feeling right. If you're struggling with this or you feel you're depressed or you're having suicidal thoughts, then here is where we recommend you turn to. What harm could that be? You know, what harm is there in having that drummed in as young men and women going forward? And again, it cautions the stigma, you know, a lot better as well around about it and being able to talk about it rather than feeling... I, I feel suicidal or I feel really depressed and I'm thinking I don't know how to move forward. You know, it, even at a young age, if someone confides in us and even explains that to us, then you think, right, OK, I recognise this. This is what we've talked about before. And here is how we can try and help you. Or this is where, you know, I can talk to a guardian. I can talk to someone and say, someone's spoken to me and, uh, that's, you know, so-and-so is feeling this way and we try and get them help. But... Fundamentally, I think the younger we can go with this, uh, I'm not saying we're getting people at five and six year old, but I think naturally, instead of leaving it until we're out of school, I think there should be a, the onus should be on a lot, a lot more in school and high school, especially to so people can understand. Especially their bodies are changing and everything too. They need to they need to know where to turn if they if they want to speak. And what about in sport, Gary? You've competed at international level. What? Should, what kind of environment should we be creating in our sporting teams, in our clubs, starting at the very top to, to try and address this? I think regardless of what changing room you walk into, um, male or female, you feel very much part of a group. You feel very much part of a team and that's the way it should be and that's why we play team sports. How we get mental health talked about more openly and honestly in those environments it's going to be tough because we have some people who are, like we touched on, more susceptible and open to talking about their feelings. We have others who don't. And we have some in the middle who they give you a little bit, but they don't give you the full story. I think knowing, though, that not everyone in that changing room, regardless, you know, by statistically, if you walk into a changing room full of 15 different men or women, there are people who are absolutely going to be struggling and there are going to be people who aren't, and there are going to be people in the middle. I think fundamentally to understand that, that you're all pals and you're all playing in the same team, but there are 
once you come off that field, there are people that are having different challenges and different crises in their life and that they're trying to work through. Again, I think knowing that your teammates are there for you if you need help is always a great thing, um, which I always felt that way, to be fair. I always felt that way in Fort William that I had lots and lots of friends um, that were around about me. But I think for me personally, I've now not been playing shinty for nine years and I think the world has changed and mental health has changed more so in those last 10 years than it ever has before. And so I don't feel I'm in a, a current situation in terms of changing room chat and uh, the, the locker room chat of what's going on like it was 10 years ago. But I can tell you that what we are seeing now is there are more young men and women talking and coming forward with their problems. And I suppose pioneer, being pioneers... They are, they are going into their changing rooms and they're saying, look, I'm struggling, I'm really down this week, I'm, I'm going to need a help. And I know that's happening, uh, which is really tough on the people that are feeling that way, but they're open and they're being honest and their teammates are rallying going, thank you for being honest. And they're giving that wee extra bit as well to try and help them on and off the field. And I think the more that we can make people feel that that's okay, then the better that's going to be for everyone. Uh, yeah. I couldn't agree more, but I th- it sounds like we need to keep on supporting those conversations and helping people feel empowered and enabled to have those conversations, to, to open them up, but also to be there to receive them for their friends. Yeah, and that's where maybe having a professional coming in on a kind of one-to-one basis with each club every three months, you know, it doesn't even have to be every month or so, I think would be a, a wonderful thing. I also can appreciate though the NHS is stretched already, um, and everyone else who works in the you know public health and mental health sector is stretched to the limit. I don't know if that is even a possibility. I know Shinty themselves started having chaplains, and Kyle's Athletic were the first to have a chaplain to come in and talk. A one to one kind of confident thing, you know. They're saying whatever you say stays here, and we'll we'll talk it through with the chaplain, and that I believe was a great success. Not every club has someone like that or willing to put themselves forward. Not every club has players who are willing to accept that and to, to go and talk. So, again, we are going through change, Dan, and it's all for the, the better and a positive change. And I think the more we have conversations like we're having today, then the more people can feel like it's completely okay to have that conversation with somebody else too. Now, I said earlier on that you're... Um an incredibly talented musician. You're a world-renowned musician for for people not in traditional music circles. But you wrote a song about your teammates, didn't you? Tell us a wee bit about it, Gary, as we listen to a short bit just to to end our conversation today. This is called The Dreamfield, and one of the the last conversation I ever had with uh, one of the young men that I was talking about, the one that I didn't want to, to name... We, we saw each other in the pub and he was in brilliant form. He bought me a whiskey and he passed it over and we cheers to each other. We hadn't seen each other in a couple of months and he said, here's to you and here's to me. I can't smile and laugh with you, share a memory at the bar. And I hug and hold and talk of all, but inside my mind's afar. Far from the dream field. Where thoughts were swung aside The black dog now wants 
leash pulling at my side Far from the dream fields Where our life will carry on Far from the dream fields Where there's no right or wrong Far from the dream fields Where we meet our history Until we meet again, my friend Here's to you and here's to me And that was his parting words and two weeks later he was no longer with us and I remember sitting at the piano and just thinking, you know, of all the loss and sadness and suffering over the years through the sport and the, the lads that we have lost um, I started putting some pen to paper and wrote this song, The Dreamfields, all about the, the great days that we've had up and down the country and all those different fields. And, you know, I, I came through for Oyam at a very lucky time. We worked very hard, but we were very, very successful. You know, we won every trophy in the competition uh, in, in Shinti and with some of those lads. So they played at the highest level and they were... Yeah, we had some incredible days, incredible memories and days that will certainly live with me for the rest of my life and I just wanted to try and put some of that down on paper and try and understand that for me and them, we walked on on a Saturday and played but they must have had all this other struggles and things going on in their life off the field that, that I just didn't understand or we didn't understand. Gary, thank you. Thank you so much for being so open and so honest today on Speaking a Suicide podcast. Dan, thank you very, very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. A reminder of Mikey's line. If you or someone you know needs help or advice, you can text 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. They're available Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm. Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. Now here's Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line with a few thoughts for you to mull over. Gary started off saying no one wants to talk about it when he, at 16, lost his friend and his shinty colleague to suicide. And then in the interview, Gary, and in his life, Gary is doing just that. He is talking about it. He's talking about mental health and suicide and his grief and through his radio documentary Six Men through his interview just now it sounds like and it sounds like the conversations are changing in the the shinty rooms to some extent so through people like Gary being unapologetic in their pain and their grief that is where the conversation is changing our Highland culture is strong and it's wonderful in so many ways in the traditional music and in sports like Shinti. But our Highland culture is problematic in many ways also, where particularly where we believe unhelpful ideas about masculinity, about the things that we can and can't talk about, about not giving ourselves permission to say that we're sad or we're unhappy or even that we feel suicidal. If that's seen as a weakness in our culture, that is a massive problem. And also in our culture, drinking our worries away. This, these are the parts of our culture that it's so important that we have conversations to, to change. 
And the fact that Gary is someone who is very much part of that culture through the, um, the traditional music and the, the shinti, it's incredibly hopeful and encouraging to have his voice as part of that. And far from the dream fields, that song, whoa, <laughs> that really hit me. I'm sure it hit you also listening. Just that idea that all of the struggles that that, that player, that those players had off the field, that, that Gary couldn't understand, that others can't understand. On the outside, someone can look like they're living their so-called best life and inside things can look very, very different. We can't tell by judging from the outside. So it's all of our jobs to create conditions where we can have these safe and helpful conversations about our mental health. Thank you for listening. Huge thanks to Shona and all the team at Mikey's Line for the work they do. This episode was sponsored by HSBC UK. The podcast platform is supported by D&D Paving. Please do like, share and comment about the podcast. And if you want to get involved by sponsoring an episode or telling your story, get in touch with Mikey's Line. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production. The intro music is Nana by Tom Ireland and The Dreamfields is written and performed by Gary Innes. So until we meet again, my friend, Here's to you, and here's to me.